Okay. Uh, so tonight, uh, we're going to first pray, and we're going to get started. We have a whole bunch of questions that pertain to sort of like relationships, relational stuff, um, but also we're going to start off with the big one. So uh, let me pray for, for wisdom and just thank Raymond for his time. So let's pray. Loving Father, thank you, Lord. Um, thank you that you have given us life. Thank you that you have given us an intellect, Lord, to think deeply and carefully about such things. Father, I thank you for your word um, that gives explanation for the mysteries of life, Lord. Um, but it's not a comprehensive book of life so to where we can understand everything. And for that, we rely on the Holy Spirit for the rest, God, for all the stuff in between. Father, I thank you for Pastor Raymond for the time that he takes um, out of his week uh, to just edify the body, and I'm so thankful for him. And I pray, God, that you would bless us. Um, we give you the glory for tonight, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, Lord, as we answer these questions, and I pray that we would do it with grace um, and with tact. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first question that we're going to tackle um, is, it's like a, it's, it's a question that asks about relationships, but it's also, I think, something that we need to sort of define terms for. So the first question is, how do you approach LGBT people? So Pastor Raymond and I are going to sort of tag team this and bounce off each other. So I'll let him start. <laughs> so the best way I can answer that is how I have dealt with it in relationships. And I've had two opposite extremes. Um, I've had one friend who was, uh, both of these were men, actually of, of the three, both of these two were, were men. Um, in the first case, the guy did not believe that homosexual acts were permitted by God. So he had a homosexual bent, he was attracted to men, and he just, as as all, his, all his life, that's, that's all had, was part of it. But he made the decision that he would be obedient to God and that he would not ever seek to have a homosexual um, encounter with anybody. So in his case, he, that's, that was his choice and he stuck to it. I mean, as far as anybody knows, but as far as I know, he did. There's an interesting thing in, in the scriptures where we're told if Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow after me. And that that statement, take up his cross, is often misunderstood. It's kind of like, well, my, my mother-in-law is my cross, I've got to carry that. No, your cross is any, any heavy thing that you have to carry in life that you have to carry because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is. And so there'll be a time when you're called on to do something that is extremely, extremely difficult for you, and you, you do it simply because you want to be obedient to Christ. And that was his choice said, I'm going to carry this cross and, uh, and not get, engage in any homosexual activity. He was, you know, he was open with, with us, confessed that he was attracted to men and not to women, didn't understand why, didn't understand where it came from, but it was just a fact of life with him. So do you want to respond to this before I, I go to the other extreme one? Um, so, you know, for, for all of us who knew him, it was like, wow, okay, um, we we've got to admire that, that choice. The other end of the spectrum was a, was a friend who, to my shock, came out of the, uh, the closet and declared that, that he, he'd always been attracted to men and that he was a homosexual. He was, he, 
And this was a case with a man who was married and had children, but then decided to leave his wife and go into the homosexual lifestyle. In both of these cases, these men knew the scriptures. And in his case, every scripture that he encountered where it spoke about God's design for one man, for one woman, for life, as, as he's designed sexually, he would come up with many counter-arguments to them, and, and Tony will, will deal with some of those, I hope. Mm -hmm. He'd have many counter-arguments to them. Um, <coughs> and so, in, in, in his case, um, he and I are still friends, and we remain friends um, all the way through it. We just disagreed on this one subject. Um, both of these men were Christians. The, the one who went into the uh, homosexual lifestyle um, continued to serve in a church where, where he was accepted, where they were accepted. It was an open and affirming church. And he continued there. Now, in his case, there was no point arguing the issues. He'd settled it all in his mind because this is the choice that he'd made. And all the arguments in the world would not have affected him at all. So for me, keeping the relationship, keeping the friendship there was, was I felt, the right way to go, simply because it was, I wasn't going to change his mind at all. He was, he was locked into it. But still, I valued the relationship, and so he stayed with that. On the other hand, he didn't do anything to try and convert me to his way of thinking, which helped. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it sort of stuck there. So, when it comes to sex, heterosexual sin outside of marriage is forbidden by God. Homosexual sin outside of marriage is forbidden by God. That, that's clear. So those two pieces are there. We are not, our, our responsibility is to, is to be agents of grace into the world. And so, with somebody like that, the first thing I would let them to know, help them to understand is, as a church, while we may not affirm a, a homosexual lifestyle or a heterosexual lifestyle, okay? If you're having sex outside of marriage, that's wrong too. We, we'd have to deal with that. But we will, we, want, we will accept you. So we had a couple of women come to our church, and it took us a while to figure this out. They were attending the church, um, and it took us a while to suddenly click. Oh, okay, so you're both lesbians, and you have these little children. It's like, all right, so, so I eventually had to sit down with them and go, okay, <laughs> tell me your story. Mm -hmm. And so they told me their story, the, uh, and they wouldn't mind me telling the story. The older woman's daughter had two children that she abandoned with her mom, just took off, left them with her mother. Older woman who couldn't, su couldn't uh, support herself and support the children. She had, uh, she had this friend who was a physician who was, had no children but was also very wealthy. So the two of them came together and the physician was supporting the older woman and providing for her and the children. So when we met with them, and they were, they were in our church, they were involved in everything, it was kind of like, okay guys, continue to stay with our church while we try and figure out this. 
Okay, so we try and figure our way through it. Um, when, when we eventually worked it all the way through, I said to them, all right, we want you to stay in our church. We want you to be part of the life of our church. The only way that I can figure for, for us to support you and for you to be part of our church would be to ask you that going forward, we would ask you to stop your sexual relationships. And so they discussed it and they came back to us and said, it's done. We've moved into separate bedrooms. We live in separate bedrooms and we will not have a sexual relationship going forward, but we're gonna stay together as a family. And as a church, we went, we're with you. We will support you in this. So making people who are LGBT comfortable enough to come to the church and know you won't be judged because of your orientation, because of that, is critical. Our first goal is to win people to Christ. The only time we'd have to be more careful is if they start then to try and evangelize others to their lifestyle. It'd be just a matter of saying, okay, th that's not fair to do to us. We welcome you and, and you know, we'd want you to be part of us. All we're asking is that you don't now become a, a crusader to change others. I don't know if that helps, but yeah. Um, one of the, the things that makes this topic difficult is that um, in where we find ourselves in the year 2020, um, this issue of sexuality is at the forefront. Um, and that's one of the arguments that people have is that, oh, the Bible doesn't say gay um, like straight up. Like it mentions homosexuality and there are words that are used in the original languages that describe homosexual relationships. So they're like, well, you know, the word homosexual isn't actually in the Bible until the 1940s or whatever. Um, and or or the other argument is that the Bible doesn't mention homosexuality that often. Um, you know, I have some proof texts that specifically forbid homosexuality, right? There's like five, six, maybe. Um, but the thing is, is that the reason why the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality often is because it was one of those sins in the ancient world that was so egregious and so awful that hardly anyone committed it. And it was just a given that you don't do that um, in that culture. That's the reason why, because it was like, why focus on that uh, when everyone knows that this is sinful behavior, right? So along with that, the reason why people have issue with it today is because it's on everyone's minds. Sexuality and not just sexuality, but their preference, like just using that word, uh, orientation, etc. Everyone has made their identity in their sexuality at the forefront. And even, you know, so-called gay Christians, they're just the fact that they call themselves gay Christians, they put the gay before the Christian, <laughs> you know, they identify themselves as like, I'm gay first and then I'm Christian. It would be like me saying, I'm a brown Christian or someone saying, I'm a white Christian. That'll get you in trouble, right? So it's, it's putting this identity, it's the cart before the horse, essentially, is they're, they're making this the, the forefront uh, of, of their whole identity. And that, that is where the issue lies. So the reason why this is so difficult, suffice it to say, is that this, is, this has become the thing for our culture, is sexuality, and it's so important. Whereas before, sexuality was, uh, in the ancient world, when the time that scripture was written, was you would marry a person of the opposite sex. You would have relationships with a person of the opposite sex. It was a given. 
So it just seems weird that like, oh, Christians are just obsessed with homosexuality. And it's just not true that, you know, it does talk about it. So we do need to talk about it. Um, but it's at the forefront of everyone's mind. So as believers, uh, we have to to be beacons of light um, in society. So the reason why it seems like Christians are obsessed with it is because everyone else is obsessed with it. You know, so we have to talk about these issues. So to answer the question, how do you approach an LGBT person? You approach them in the same way you would any sinner. Um, we are all separated from God because of our sin, the sin that we literally inherited from Adam, right? Um, people say, yeah, I don't believe, I believe that people are inherently good. You know, I think that, you know, when you're born, you're just a good person. And it's like, now that I've had a bunch of kids, I completely understand that when you are a baby, you are 100% focused on yourself. You are just, you're a terrible sinner. <laughs> You know, like all you care about is yourself because you literally don't have the capacity to think about anything else. That is just like one of the proofs for, yeah, humanity is not generally good, right? So you approach them in that same way. Like, hey, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's where we start from. And the good news is, the good news that's found in here is that you are not far from salvation because of, because society thinks that this is like the number one thing, right? The, the most important thing. It doesn't mean that you are, you are like further from reach from Jesus's cross, essentially. Like we're all the same distance and Jesus died for you in the same way that he died for me. Um, so approaching it in that way, I think is really, really helpful. So <clears throat> one of the things that I've had to wrestle with is where does it come from? Um, and in some cases, like the first incidents I told you about, um, as a result of our rebellion against God and against the fall, we've been affected in all kinds of ways. That's where diseases mm -hmm. and illness come from. And that's where you find fracturing happening in our personalities and in, in our makeup. And so some people, for some for reasons I can't figure, that they're, they're born with just that bent mm -hmm. inside of them, okay? Mm -hmm. um, for some people, though, it's a choice to experiment. And the only time I ever got angry was with two women in, in my church who I found out were experimenting to find out. They were both, they both claimed to be Christians, and yet they were, they were both experimenting with one another um, sexually. And it was like, stop, that absolutely is wrong. That, you two know what you're doing. This is not, you're just doing it because you're, because you're sex addicts is what they were. Mm. Um, which was just, you know, it, it's, it's amazing the kind of things you end up having to deal with in the life of a church. But that, that was a hard one there. Um, and for them, it was the only time I found anger towards somebody uh, doing that because they were deliberately violating God's laws and they were doing it just because they were experimenting. Mm -hmm. um, um, should I go over some of the, just for your guys' education, I think we should maybe talk about some of the, the common arguments. Yeah. Because I know that you guys are like pretty steeped in this. You see it at school, people talk about it all the time. And I think sometimes as a Christian in 2020, it's really difficult to sometimes be open about it because you don't want people to think that you're this way or that way. They'll just assume things because you have labeled yourself as a Christian. So some of the arguments that I think you guys need to know is that some people, um, say things like, if God is love, why does he condemn homosexuality? I think that 
is a big one and it's compelling, right? Because you're like, well, yeah, scripture does say that God is love, right? Um, but I think the, the, the best way to, to answer that, to counter that, is go, well, yeah, God is love, but he's not only love, right? Um, that's what people like to say is that, oh, when it boils down, God is only love. That's essentially what they're saying. But we know from the word that God is not just love. He is also fully, he, God is mercy. God is justice. God has wrath. God is wrath, wrathful, right? So you, you can't boil God down into only one thing. And that's, that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to use rhetoric and, and, and philosophical arguments to say that. You know, God doesn't know about, you know, a committed homosexual relationship. And that's another one is that if you look at scripture, it doesn't condemn committed uh, monogamous homosexual relationships or that people that wrote the Bible in those days didn't know about that, that when they talk about homosexuality, they think, oh, they're just talking about men who either were so full of lust that they desired other men or men who desire to have sex with young men, right? That's, that is their reasoning for that. Um, and the easiest way to counter that is that, no, that's not what that means. <laughs> homosexuality, it doesn't say that, okay, when I say homosexual activity, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have sex with young boys, or I don't want you to be bisexual and have, be so lustful that you have sex with other men. It doesn't say that, it just says, homosexuality is an abomination it's a sin the the punishment for that sin is actually death and if they did want to say that you 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 shouldn't have homosexual relations with someone younger than you or just because you're super lustful they weren't clear in that right if if that's what they wanted to say it would have said that um, they did a really bad job of saying because it. it's not just in the old testament that prohibits it's also in the new testament romans 1 1 corinthians uh, Paul talks about this, and other writers of the New Testament um, didn't talk about it per se. They didn't say homosexuality because, like I said, it was just a given that you didn't do that. Another argument is, well, Jesus never said that homosexuality is a sin or that it's an abomination. Um, Jesus did talk about sexual relationships. When the Pharisees were asking him about divorce, they said, well, teach us about this. What does it say about this? And he says, don't you know that God made man and woman? He affirmed the heterosexual relationship and, saying, and said, this is God ordained. This is how God wants it. This is the created order. So God doesn't, or Jesus doesn't specifically mention homosexuality, but he does mention a heterosexual relationship. And that being the main, that, that being the only mode of relationship that is um, condoned in scripture. Because Jesus is, of course, the most perfect interpreter of Scripture. You saw that during his ministry, all the people tried to catch him up, but he knew everything. He was just right on it. Um, another one is... Uh, it's... I, I went through most of them, but this, this one... Um, argues language in first corinthians 6 9 uh, they make the argument that the the term that paul uses for homosexual doesn't really mean that and i, I sort of answered that already um, another one is is it's not harming anyone 
Uh, you know, my homosexual relationship doesn't harm anyone, so therefore I think it should be good. Um, that one's kind of easy to answer. It's like, well, Scripture says that um, this is an abomination. It's toy vaz, what the Hebrew word is for it. Um, it condemns it. It says it's a sin. And then Scripture says that sin separates us from God. So while it doesn't um, harm anybody here on earth, maybe your partner, it doesn't harm your partner. But in reality, in eternity, it does because you are essentially guiding them to hell along with yourself, right? Um, so there, there are other arguments too. Um, this is the way God made me. Uh, that one sort of goes into, that's a big one right now. Is like, God made me this way. And if he made me this way, then why is this wrong? And I think you could answer this too, is that my answer to that would be like, God made me, you know, want to desire other women besides my wife. Even before I was married, I was attracted to women, right? Like when I was in high school, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fornicate before I was a Christian, right? Like God made me that way. So it's, it would be illogical and wrong for me to say, because God made me be someone who's intensely attracted to females. I could totally sleep around, get people pregnant, get SCDs all I want because God made me that way. It's just, I don't think it's a good argument. One more piece in all of this is that in order for us to live, we have to have food and water and oxygen. Mm. We don't have to have sex. In other words, sex is a drive. It's, a, it's, it's something that that's a beautiful gift from God, mm -hmm. but you don't have to have sex in order to survive. So denying yourself in that area is something human beings can do, and it's not going to cripple you. It's not going to, not going to kill you uh, at all. So it's just, so just to go back to what I said, we we have to also deal with heterosexual sin, um, and and face that. It used to be when I prepared a couple for marriage. I had to get to that awkward place where I had to ask them, all right, are you guys sleeping together? Mm. I no longer get awkward. Now I assume you're sleeping together mm. Mm. and have to, have to confront them about that and just simply say, all right, you want to honor God, you want to be married in front of him, in front of the church, then you've got to honor God by not having sex until you're married because the sequence in Genesis 1 is sex follows your commitment, lifetime commitment to one another and God designed it that way because sex was not intended to be just physical. It was intended to be a total commitment of the total person uh, to them. I had one couple where he was like, oh, we're already living in the same house. What am I going to do? I said, figure out. You've got to move out until the wedding. And so he had to talk to his brother, and his brother mocked him for months. He had to move in with his brother and live at his brother's house. <laughs> he, even, he said to me, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll always wear clothes in bed, I, you know? And I'll, mm. It's like, no, you want, you want us to, you want to do the, the wedding at church? Then you've got you've to move out. And so he did, and, that, and they were thankful afterwards. It was awkward and, and hard to do. So um, speaking of heterosexual relationships and just sex culture in general, um, and what I was talking about before, like, oh, it's not harming anyone. Um, the way that culture sees sex today is definitely harmful. Um, it's the reason why a lot of people are getting married a lot later than they used to be. It's a reason why a lot of couples aren't getting married at all. Um, I recently heard this thing about people in Japan. Japan has 
the lowest birth rate in all of the world. And, you know, Japan's real techie. They make products and stuff like that. Well, there's a product that you can literally buy that is a hand that feels like a hand that you can hold. So it feels like you're holding someone's hand that their culture is so lonely. It's insane. They're so lonely that they come up with devices just to feel human contact again. Um, and it goes along with this culture. And, and, and that's, that's what sin is, guys, is, is Satan wanting us to be separated from God. He wants us to die. He wants us to, to physically hurt, to be lonely, um, to get disease, etc. And this is, this is truly an attack from Satan on, upon culture, that he wants us to, to do all these things so that we, um, we are more and more lonely, that we don't get married, that we just delay everything and delay everything. And we see, like, what's, what's the point of, of, of people to get married when they already live as, if they, as though they were married? Like, what is the incentive, right? Um, you could be crass and say the incentive back in the day was that you would get to have intercourse with your partner. So therefore, they got married. Like, I think that's marrying for the wrong reasons. But whatever you want to say about it, there is, like, no, quote, unquote, incentive for people to get married because they have every incentive. The only thing they don't get are tax breaks, right, in practical terms. But I'm sure that's going to go away pretty soon. <laughs> One thing to know is that now that we've had a long term of being able to study cohabiting relationships, mm. they found that you find a couple who've lived together for a couple of years and they get married and their relationship is destroyed after they get married. And the reason is because until then, until they make the marriage commitment, there was always the out. Mm -hmm. And there were issues that they didn't deal with that they needed to deal with in relationship until they got married. Once they got married, then now they're committed and they have to stay together. Now those issues surface. And many of those relationships, unbelievable number of them, are shattered because now they have to start dealing with the issues they should have been dealing with all along. And so, you know, God designed sex to be something that is the most phenomenally bonding thing between a man and a woman. And we, we, have, we, we dethrone it when we don't do our best to protect it for that place. Just want to mention, by the way, 30 years ago, I was a youth pastor. 30 years ago, we would never have had this discussion with the, with the high school group. Mm. It's just no not way at all. taboo, probably, huh? Oh my gosh, it was, the parents would have come and killed me. Like, <laughs> what the heck are you doing? Mm -hmm. and, but we have to now, because that's the, that's the world we live in. We just, it's just, you know, we have to just speak as honest as we can yeah. uh, on these kind of things. I totally agree with that. I was listening to this podcast and the guy was talking about how his daughter went away like on a trip. She's in middle school um, on a trip with some friends. She's homeschooled, her, his daughter is, but she came back and she, she heard a joke in that, on that trip. And in, in the joke, they used a curse word. And she came back and asked her dad's like, dad, like, I heard a joke, and I knew it was a joke because everyone laughed, but I just didn't get it. And he goes, she goes, okay, well, tell me the joke. And he explained it to, she explained it to him, and he realized, he said this on the podcast. He's like, I didn't do a good job of educating my child. Hmm. Though, and I, that was weird to me at first, like, this dude's a pastor, you know, like, why would you teach your kids about, about cursing, right? And it's like, you could teach them about cursing, right? You could teach them the words, what it sounds like, and what it means so that they don't, feel like a fool out in the world right and it's the same way with sexuality and it's the same way with culture uh with with talking about what's happening in culture like this is 
training for you guys, if you guys are, are blessed enough to become parents, that don't hide things from your kids. You need to teach them and teach them the godly way of doing things. Teach them what God expects of us and God's mercy and things like that. We shouldn't hide things from them. I think that's probably part of the reason why we're in this mess. <laughs> but, you know, my, my wife, she was homeschooled, and she never even heard her parents use the words for genitalia. She's never was never educated on sex whatsoever, and it was like this monster to her. You know, she wasn't educated. And her sister was the same way, and she ended up going off off the rails because of it, I think. So, anyways. We had one couple in our church who were celibate. They, they didn't have sex. They, in fact, they didn't even kiss until their wedding. Mm-hmm. And the first time they kissed was when the pastor, and there was a friend of mine, I wasn't the pastor of that church, when, when the pastor said, you may kiss your bride, we were all going, when he does so, one of them's going to faint. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the what? There, there was a TLC show about that. Oh, you're about kidding. About couples who kissed at the altar. That was yep. so awful. Oh, you're awful. kidding. Uh, Tiffany thought her first kiss would be at the altar. And then she met me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, neither of them fainted. But we, it was really hilarious how we all sat there going, hmm. Somebody's good. Okay, so does anyone have any questions before we move on? Unless you, you had more to say, Raymond? No. No? Anyone have any questions thoughts objections things you want to yell at us for please be honest like this is the time yeah. to air it out like the toughest thing is that like people who aren't straight it's i guess it's sort of an easier way out because it's like okay well we can wait till marriage you know yeah but then with people that are in other relationships it's kind of like okay well you you can't forever yeah you know what i mean i i see it like like because it's so prevalent in culture like like Ruby really loves candy. She has a sweet tooth. And if you mention candy by name at all in the house, it's the only thing she can think about. And I think it's the same way for people's sexuality. And like I said, it's become the number one thing that identifies you as a human. It's like your soul nowadays. So I think because of the emphasis of culture in your sexuality, it can be really, really difficult. But sexual desire is not the only desire that we have. It seems like, oh, man, that's really terrible for those people, but that's not the only uh, vice that people have. It's not the only thing. It's, it's only at the forefront because of what culture says about it. So I, I can understand, yeah, it's really difficult and it seems awful for them. But there are also many, many, many instances. One of my favorite books um, is a book by this woman named Rosario Butterfield, and it's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And she was a legitimate college professor at a really good school on the East Coast. She taught um, postmodernism, and she was a lesbian, and she was in a lesbian relationship and everything, and she hated God. She was writing um, one of uh, a paper, an essay, about God and scripture and all that stuff, and then she met a Presbyterian pastor mm. that approached her in a loving manner that said, hey, I want to hear your story. I want to love you. She, he invited them to dinner. Um, and it's amazing. This is a memoir of hers. She was saying, like, she's like, I knew everything about my whole life. My, my life was moving in this one direction. And as soon as I met Jesus, not as soon as she met Jesus, she, she knew about Jesus. She knew about, knew about God. But when she felt the love from this pastor and his wife, she, in, in, in the memoir, she was like, I hate 
I hate myself. If I was my colleagues, if I was anybody, I would hate myself. And eventually she became converted and she wrote a paper and she knew that as soon as she did that, she, she would get hate from all the people that, that she had been loving at the time, especially all in the LGBT community. And she's like, I agree with you. <laughs> like what's happening to me is what Christians call work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot explain it and I wish it wasn't happening, but that's how powerful God is, is that he can change hearts and minds. He can change people who thought this is the direction that I'm going. I hate God. And all of a sudden, wow, something inside of me is changing. I can't explain it, but I can't, I have to give up. If God wants you, he's going to get you. Okay. Do you want me to ask, ask the next question or do you want to go? Okay. So the next question um, is sort of a two part or twofer. It goes along the same line. So how do you support a friend who keeps wrongdoing you? Um, and then how do you find balance between forgiveness, tolerance, and boundaries? How do we behave in a Christ-like manner to a truest Christian who behaves towards us in a very unchristlike way? The boundaries word in there is a vital piece there. Yeah. If somebody is treating you in an unchristlike manner and they're claiming to be a Christian and they keep doing something to you that harms you, that hurts you, that then the best thing to do is to set a boundary. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you hate them, but you distance yourself. You just, you just flat have to do that. And do it as gently and as honestly as you can. And just simply say, you know what, this relationship is not, being, is not helping me, it's hurting me. And so therefore I can't continue in this relationship unless of course you're, you're willing to change. Um, to me, that, that's just one of those things you've gotta, you don't wanna allow somebody else to pull your strings. And if mm. somebody's pulling your strings and hurting you all the time, and it's, then, it's, then it's time to say, all right, I need to cut these strings and, and move, move on so that it's, it's no longer affecting me. Um, and setting boundaries is one of the key things to learn in life. It's a hard thing to do, but it's a vital thing to learn, is that you are you and I am me, and there's a time when you cross boundaries into my life. I need to move you back far enough that, that you're no longer invading my space my personal space. Mm -hmm. so, once that helps. Matthew 18, Jesus said, if somebody sins against you, go to them and confront them. Deal, and, and it's hard, but you go to them and confront them and say, all right, this is what you're doing and it's wrong. And if they, if they, they say, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, and they change, then praise God, you move on. If they won't, it may be that you take somebody else with you. But this is in a case where they really are doing something that is morally wrong, something that is definitely injuring you. Then you take one or two witnesses with you and confront them. And if they still won't change their mind, then you can bring in the, the church leadership to help with a, a situation like that. Mm -hmm. But don't feel like you're trapped in it and you've got to be loving. Um, <laughs> I had a friend once, I, had, I was battling with something and. And, and it, it was breakfast or lunch, and he said, Raymond, Jesus said that you're to love your enemies, right? I said, yeah. He said, so that means you're going to have enemies. It was like, oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Didn't think about that. He said, That's so no, good. You've got enemies, so love your enemies, but that doesn't mean, you, you know, that you're to stay where they can hurt you. Mm. Move, be, move away. Yeah. Hmm. I, well, and believe me, there are adults who, 
have to learn late <coughs> in life about boundaries where, where you just got to understand, no, I, I can't allow you to invade my life like you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, and it's hard to set boundaries, but sometimes it's necessary. you just have to. Yeah. Uh, um, the next question, did you have any more? No. Okay. Anyone have any comments or questions? Okay, so the next question sort of goes in along with that. It's how do I exit a situation that is not of Jesus without being rude or offending anyone? Um, and there's, there's a really cool book in the Bible right before Revelation called Jude. Um, and Jude is the brother of James, so he's like the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he was talking about, he was writing to a specific group of people, and he was talking about how these false teachers and false prophets had come into the congregation and said they, they crept in, they, they, you know, snuck in, and they were teaching false things. They were basically like, it was what they call Christian hedonism, but in the really bad way, where it's like, I'm a Christian, so therefore I have license to do whatever I want. So they were sexually impure and immoral. Um, they were just basically not behaving like Christians. They did not have any of the fruit that Jesus talks about or that Paul talks about, right? So Jude is, is telling people, he's telling that group of people that what they need to do is essentially three things um, in light of that situation. So they need to grow in their knowledge of Christian truth, meaning you need to know your word really well. If there's someone in your life that is not of God, that claims to be a Christian or whatever, and you need to exit that situation, Jude tells you that you probably shouldn't. So he says you need to, to grow in your knowledge of, of Christ and uh, of, of the ways of God, um, and you need to bear a really good witness to that person. So because this person is saying they're a Christian and they're not living a Christian life, the best thing that you can do is know the word and live a life that is worth emulating, a life like Jesus. So be more like Jesus. And then finally, it's really interesting. It says, seek to claim, to reclaim those whose faith is wavering, right? Because of the false prophets and false teachers in this congregation, there are people that were like being discouraged. They're like, is this really what Jesus is about? You need to encourage those people, first of all. So if there are any friends that you know that are getting swayed by this particular person because of what they're teaching or what they're posting on social media or whatever, you need to encourage them and inject the truth into them. Say, no, this is actually what God says about himself. Um, but also, it's really interesting in Jude, it says, um, have mercy on those who doubt and then save others by snatching them out of the fire. <laughs> like, essentially what he tells them is that even those people, even the ones that, you know, you feel like you should get away from. Essentially saying you shouldn't and you can't and you have a responsibility to snatch them from the fire. Like they are literally at the gates of hell and you should grab them by the collar and pull them back. Like you need to do everything that you can do um, to help your brother or your sister. And I know that is a difficult thing when people are bringing you down or they're bringing others down with you know, things that you know run contrary to what God's word says. Um, but it's our duty. It's our duty to be merciful. It's our duty to be full of grace. Um, but it's also, it's our duty to, to bolster ourselves with knowledge of the word. I think that's the biggest thing. Because if you have someone who is, is, is in your life that is claiming things that are not of God, if you don't know the word, then you could fall into that trap as well. You'd be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> but if you do, if you have the knowledge that's contained within it, you, you have sort of ammunition, right? You have, um, 
you have something to say, not just to counter it, just to be a jerk, but to save them from falling into the fire, essentially. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you exit the situation? My advice is to not exit the situation, <laughs> as hard as that might be. Um, but you do have the support of the people in this group. You have the support of me and Raymond. Um, but yeah, we can't, we can't give up on, on our brothers and sisters. Except. Uh-huh. <laughs> except if you find that what they're doing is they're undermining your own faith. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then if you find that you're, you're, you're beginning to question God, you're beginning to doubt God, you're beginning to believe what they're telling you, at that point in time, now you, now you have to exit because now instead of you being able to pull them away from the fires of hell, they're pulling you toward the fires of hell. So they, that's, what, that's why you need to know the scriptures, know the truth and hold to the truth. Mm -hmm. But then also be aware that there comes a time when it's like, okay, I, I've got to disconnect. Um, I've had a couple of cases where people have had Jehovah's Witnesses come into their house mm -hmm. or Mormons come into their house and get into conversations with them and, and discussions. And eventually you can tell that their, their faith is beginning to waver. And they begin, and it's, at, at, a, at that point it's like, okay, no, you need to stop this. Because right now you're not going to convert them. They're not brothers and sisters in Christ, which is the big difference. Mm -hmm. and, and what they're doing is they're corrupting you and they're turning you away. Uh, I had a professor who was a phenomenal professor who tried with Jehovah's Witnesses to convert them. And finally, he said, you know what? I had to eventually just say, I'm, I'm sorry. There's, there's no way in the world that even though I tell you and show you in the Greek what the truth is, you still won't believe it. Therefore, I've got to stop that. Don't and, throw your pearls to swine. Yeah. And is there any questions that in that situation? It's like, what do we need to do? Like, I mean, I don't know. Is there maybe they mention all the views that we need? So then, like, if someone were to start speaking the truth, they'd be like, no, that's not the truth. So it's it's hold them at a distance, but but let them know you love them is is the best thing you can do. But you've got to hold them at a distance because when a when a Christian sins <coughs> and persists in sin, we're told to put them off, put them at a distance. Um, mm -hmm. That's what uh, Matthew 18 says. If a Christian is is sinning and will not listen to the church, then you're to treat him as an unbeliever. How do we treat unbelievers? We as a text tax collector and an unbeliever. You, an unbeliever is somebody you want to save, but a tax collector in those days was somebody you wanted to keep at a distance. They were traitors. And so you wanted to keep them at a distance, and so it's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. But there does come a time when you realize, you know what, mm. the, 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 I, can't, I can't convert you, I'm not gonna persuade you. I, I care for you, but that I can't allow you to continue to, to, to debate. People are saved out of Jehovah's Witnesses. People are saved out of, out of Mormonism. People are saved out of non just pagans, you know what I mean? Cults. The yeah. yeah, the gospel is powerful. And mm -hmm. pray for them and, and just wait for God to do the work of, of uh, helping them. A couple of cases where I've known people like that, I've had to sit them down and say, all right, you, before I can teach you, well, in order for me to be able to teach you, I've had, had to help you to unlearn what you've been taught that is wrong. And that's going to be hard because there's stuff that you've held on to that you think is true and it's not. Mm. Um, and I have to help you unlearn that. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. 
And the one way he will destroy us is through lies. Mm -hmm. And he will get you to doubt God. He will get you to doubt God's love. He will get you to doubt God's justice. He will do anything he can to corrupt your mind. And that's, that's why we have to, we, there comes a time when we have to distance yeah. ourselves. I could, can I tell you one quick story about uh, Mormons? Mm -hmm. You know, they believe <laughs> that after Jesus, I interview Mormons, <laughs> that after Jesus rose from Jerusalem, he went, came across to America and then started what became the, the Mormon church. Pardon? That's not where they thought Zion was. Yeah. Do you know the part, that part? No, go on. So Joseph Smith received this revelation that there was going to be a new Zion and it was going to be in the Americas. Yeah. And he went to the first place where he thought God told him, and he was driven out by Native Americans. And he goes, actually, it's not that place. It's this place. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a real thing. That actually happened. Anyway, so that, that was, that's a Mormon belief, that after he rose, he came to America. Mm -hmm. My father was a World War II South African he, was, he fought in World War II. At some point in time, he was around American servicemen, and it turned into something really... Some, there was something inside of him that he, he couldn't stand Americans. <laughs> hated Americans. Yanks, what they were Yanks. called. Anyway, my dad's sitting at the table at our home in South Africa reading the newspaper, and my mom invites these two Mormons to come in, these Mormon missionaries, you know, they mm -hmm. have their white shirts on. Anyway, so they, they sit down with my mom, and my mom was just, my mom would invite anybody into our home. They're having a chat, and then they said, and so then Jesus rose from Jerusalem, and he went to America. My dad went, I knew the bloody Yanks would someday say that Jesus is an American. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and he said, get out of my house. <laughs> and we were, we oh rolled on the floor. Was just like, <laughs> I knew it. it. Uh, sorry, my dad then, when I was a senior in high school, my girlfriend was an American missionary kid, and my dad loved her, absolutely loved her. And, and, huh? No, 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 she was, she was a true missionary. She's the one who led me to Christ. But, but my dad loved her, and it helped him to switch with his whole idea of, of Americans and stuff. So it was, it was so cool that God said, oh, I'm going to find a way to take that out of you. Yeah. All right. Uh, any comments, questions about that? Any clarifications you guys need? Okay, next one. How do I get my friends to have a little more faith and believe in God and the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> so what you can do is know what, know what you believe. And I actually got, there's actually a book called Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe. The guy was phenomenal, easy writer. Man, that's fantastic. If any of you need the book, books, um, know what you believe and understand that all of us had, uh, are at a different place, all of us, in our growth, in, in our relationship with Christ. So some, we all grow on a need-to-know and a need-to-grow basis. And there comes a time in your life when all of a sudden you'll need to know something. And you'll find it if you go to the scriptures. Or there's a growth place in your life where you need to grow. And so many of your, your, your friends are not at the same place you are. And you, you, all you can do is, is continue your own growth. Answer the questions. Uh, is it P James or Peter? Or John, Peter. One, Peter. Be, be ready to give an mm -hmm. answer to anyone who asks you for the, for the hope that you have. Mm -hmm. Explain your faith. And teach it to them and challenge them. 
say, come on, think, you know, turn your brain on and think, and then try to move them along. I guess I, I just get to the, the place where re you realize where all of a sudden, suddenly the light will go on in somebody and they need to know, and then they'll grow. It's the same thing with all of us. If there's all of a sudden a time in your life when I really need to know this, and then you can grow. Does that help or is that just walking a circle? Yeah. I think an, a major thing that I've always been a proponent of is, you know, when you, when you want your friends to know God, especially I think the motivation for a lot of people is that like, I see my friend going through a really hard time and, you know, I know that Jesus changed my life for the good. So I, I think they, they should just become Christians and it'll make them happy. Right. Which leads us to our, our next question. But, uh, I've always been a proponent of like, hey, why don't you just invite them to church? Um, and youth group's really good for that because we have things that are just not youth group, right? Like I'll talk about in the announcements coming up what we're doing next week. Um, but things that, you know, hey, we can, we can invite our friends to these things and it's not church, right? It's not like, oh, we're going to totally ambush you with Jesus right now. Um, but to get them to just meet your other Christian friends. And that's how important testimony is. Uh, when when, when non-believers see believers' lives, especially when they know them intimately, like, mm -hmm. Mike, I think you've been really open and honest about, you know, your struggles and your victories. Like, I love what I see you posting on social media. Like, it's real and it's open and it's honest. And I think that is a huge witness to people. When they see that, oh, Christians aren't 100% happy all the time, and they they totally have everything you know perfect in their life, and they they have this false image of what being a Christian is. But when they see that you're real and you're raw, but that your hope lies only in Him, I think that gives other people who are hopeless to actually have hope. So the last question we're going to go through tonight is: How can we bring someone to Christ when they claim to be happy and content without religion? What are we supposed to say? No, you're not happy. I like the way that was worded. Um, and this is, this is where testimony is so important. Um, the way that we can bring people to Christ is, is invite them to church. Invite them to, to you know, some of the extracurricular stuff that we do. Invite them to go out to eat. Invite them to hang out with your other Christian friends um, so that they can see what the life of a Christian is like. And I've seen that work positively so many different times. Um, but... I think it's important for us to recognize that happiness, especially on this side of eternity, isn't our only goal. Happiness is great, right? And I think we all love to be happy, but that's not what the point of life is, right? Especially as a believer, it shouldn't be, you know, the thing that we look to. Scripture says that the thing we need to look to is the resurrection uh, to Jesus coming back to the cross. So happiness shouldn't be our end goal. And Jesus also never claims that, hey, if you follow me, right, when, he, when, he, when he's calling people during his ministry, he wasn't gathering and, and converting a whole bunch of people by saying, if you follow my ways, you will be happy. That's not what he said at all, no. right? People weren't interested in happiness, um, in the same way I think we're interested in it today, like it's become the number one thing. People are interested in salvation. They wanted to be rescued, especially in those times. Like life was really, really hard. I saw this uh, this Babylon Bee article. You guys know what Babylon Bee is? Mm -hmm. 
It's a satire, Christian satire, and it's really funny. And the one I saw today, it says, it had a picture of a woman like eating a whole bunch, like a big sandwich in her pajamas. Um, and it says, for those who claim that 2020 is the worst year ever, um, like the only way for you to believe that is if you've never lived in any other time period before. <laughs> Basically saying those who say this is the worst year ever have never lived through Nazi Germany, have never lived through the Holocaust, or never lived through Roman persecution, right? So there have been many times in the life of the church where things were much, much more difficult, yet we still had faith, and we still recognize where our goal lies, and it wasn't happiness. It was the hope and salvation that's found in Christ. And that's the goal. The goal should be salvation. Um, if you want your friend, if you care about the people in your life, whether it's your friend or your relatives, it should be for their salvation and nothing else. It shouldn't be so that we can make them a happier person because if we tell them about Jesus and, and, and try to say, if you become a Christian, you're going to be happy, you're going to end up being a liar um, <laughs> because that's not what it's about. And you're going to end up making people hate God. We've talked about that concept before. Hmm. Um, the health and wealth, that whole prosperity gospel stuff, like that promises things that God never promised to us. And it, it makes you, when he, when he quote-unquote fails you because you're not happy and you're not rich and you don't have the health, um, you end up hating God. And that's, that's not what the goal should be. It should always be salvation. Um, it should be for people to understand and recognize and feel tangibly the grace of God. Because if you felt it in your life, you want other people to know what that's like. Yeah. And also realize that the, there's a power in this room right now that that changes lives. Mm -hmm. I, I became a Christian because I walked into a group of high schoolers and I met Jesus in them. I didn't know. I didn't realize what, I did, what had happened. But Jesus was in that group. And that moved me. I didn't want to go to that church. It was like, heck no. <laughs> I, I didn't want to go to church. I was done with church as soon as I, and just meeting this group of kids, I didn't realize what was happening. It was, I met Jesus in them. And I've seen that happen over and over and over through the years. If you get somebody into a group where, they, where, where the Christians are real, the, it, will, it will draw them to, toward him. Can I tell my story? Yeah. Uh, have, have I, I think, I'm not sure if I told you my story about the woman who came from England. Mm -mm. Oh, okay, good. I don't even know this one. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so we had a woman in our church. Her name was Liz. She became a Christian. Her husband, David, was high intellectual. They were both from, from England. He was a high intellectual type. Uh, nonsense, Christian <laughs> nonsense. Okay. But over time, because of his encounter with us as a church, he started to come along, and lo and behold, David accepted Christ. And then they got, she got pregnant and they had a baby. And um, her sister from England, whose name was Anne, her sister Anne came to visit to see the baby. And so Liz told me, she said, okay, just be aware, Raymond, my sister Anne is an evangelical atheist. In other words, she does not believe in God and she believes her calling in God is to convert people to atheism, to mm -hmm. non-belief in God. And so when you meet her, she is going to offend you. And I said, okay. Well, <laughs> they wanted to dedicate their baby, so we, I was setting up for the, on a Sunday morning for the dedication, and Liz and David came in with the baby, and then this woman followed in, and she had a, a, a high school daughter with her. And this woman 
peeled off like a fighter plane that came straight down the aisle at me and she stopped in front of me and she said, do you know who I am? I said, you're Liz's sister. She said, yes. We're going to stay here through the dedication nonsense and then we're leaving and you are not to be offended. It's like, oh, okay, fine, go sit down. And then I forgot about her. We went through the whole thing and at the end of the service, lo and behold, they were still there. So Anne and her daughter were still there. The next Sunday, they came back and I would often give an invitation for people to accept Christ. And in that service I did, and to my horror, her high school daughter raised her hand to accept Christ as her savior. And it was like, oh, I'm gonna be killed by this woman. <laughs> Nothing happened, they went away. The third Sunday, they came to church. She came to me after church and she said, do not try to convert me. And I was like, okay. She said, but I need to come see you this afternoon. So she came to see me in, at, in my office that afternoon. And she said, now let me repeat, do not try to convert me. I said, okay, okay, come. She said, my sister Liz will believe anything. David believes what you people believe. How in the world did you get him to believe it? And what do you believe? And it was like, oh, what a wonderful open door. <laughs> so I walked her through the gospel. And I explained Jesus. I explained why he died. I explained his resurrection and, and offer of life. And when I finished with it, I said, does that make, do, do you understand what I've said? And there were tears in her eyes. And she said, yes, I do. And I said, would you? And she said, you promised you wouldn't convert me. I said, okay. And then God just, God gave me the nudges through it. I said, all right, I, and I promised I wouldn't try and convert you. But let me tell you what to do should you decide to accept Christ as your savior. Can I do that? And she said, okay. <laughs> so I told her, just simple, basic prayer. And she said, okay. I said, then one more thing. Can I give you a Bible that had, and it had the gospel in the front that, that will explain what I've just said to you again as well? And it was like, mm, okay. So she took the Bible and she said, okay. I just needed to understand what you people believe. Now, nobody had jammed it down her throat at all. She just was, she was meeting Jesus in our church every single Sunday and around the Christians. And then the last thing I said to her, all right, Anne, you're going to fly back to London tonight. And I want to challenge you this. You, when you, what you've encountered here is you've met Jesus and his people. And I'm afraid that when you get back to London, you're going to forget that you met Jesus. And so I'm going to give you a challenge that before you land in London, you must decide whether you're going to accept Jesus as your savior or not. And she said, okay, I'll think about it. They flew out midnight Sunday. On Monday night, Liz called me and she said, Anne wanted you to know, I'm going to cry right now, wow. that just before the plane touched down at Heathrow, she accepted Christ as her savior. And she wants to know if you know of a church like ours in London. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And it was just like, wow. And see, I saw that power of God over and over and over again. You just bring your friends, bring, your, bring people along, mm -hmm. and they're gonna meet Jesus among us. If they're, and that's the most powerful thing of all. They can't argue against it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, person to person relationships is one of the main modes of evangelism that, that God has set up for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about like, I've asked the question myself, I'm like, why did, why did Jesus do miracles in, during his ministry? And the scholastic answer is to show God's glory, to show that he is who he is, hmm. um, to prove that he is God's son, etc. Um, and I think like, okay, well, I know what the word says that 
you know, faith comes through hearing of the word, etc. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the best way, the best way for, for people, not, not just to, to hear the gospel and believe, um, but the best way for it to stick is relationships, yeah. person-to-person relationships. People can hear it and understand it intellectually and go, yeah, okay, I believe, like that makes sense to me. But people remain Christians and remain strong and then evangelize others and, dis- and disciple others because of one-on-one relationships, because of community like we have here. And What Pastor Raymond says is absolutely right, that what we have here is the most powerful tool for evangelism it's the, the, the brightest light that we have in this dark world. It's us as a community. And I think that it works best and it kind of only works when we do it in community with one another. Um, so if you think you want your friends to, to believe in Jesus, like that, that's a working of the Holy Spirit. It's a working of God. It's not up to us. But the easiest and best way that you could maybe bring about that change in someone's life is to invite them to church. It, it would be awesome if it was this church, but, you know, we don't have the, the monopoly on, on, you know, the gospel, essentially. It could be any church, but it would be awesome if it was this one because you know this community and you understand the people that are in it and you understand that we do our best to, to, to live a life like Jesus. Does that make sense? It's interesting. It never clicked in my brain before. Jesus did miracles. Mm-hmm. He didn't give us miracles except yeah. one. And the miracle is this. They will know that you are my followers when yes. they see the love you have for one another. Mm-hmm. That's the miracle Boom. he gave us. Yeah. And that's real. That's, that's the most powerful miracle of all. See, I, I, when I was thinking of something, to, what, what to say, I thought of that. Huh. And then I forgot. And yeah. then you just, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no yeah. joke. Like that is 100% the Holy Spirit. I never thought of that. That's yeah. the one miracle, the only miracle he gave us that we can perform. And that is to love one another. Wow. Yeah. Any questions? Any further questions? Any um, any questions you have just thought of that we might be able to answer? Because we have some time. Yeah. All right. So I'll close with prayer, and then we'll be done. Um, and then I have some announcements after I pray. Okay. Loving Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this time together. I thank you, God, that um, you are a God of wisdom that you are a God that gives us wisdom and intellect Lord and I thank you God that you have given us a heart that is capable of of compassion and love Lord I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit that bolsters us that strengthens us Lord and I pray um, for that strength for all of us here God I thank you that um, you've given us your word and I pray that we would endeavor to understand it more clearly, God, that we would have this thirst uh, for knowledge that's contained within these pages, God. I thank you for these students. I thank you, Lord, that you have formed this community, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a beacon in hope uh, of hope and of light in our communities. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so announcements. Next week, we are going to gather at Boomers, okay? Um, there is a Black Friday sale. I think it's still going on. Did anyone get their ticket at all? Okay, cool. So it's $10 for like unlimited go-karts and uh, mini golf. Those are like the only things that are open, but that's still a pretty good deal. 10 bucks for, you know, all you can, all you want to do. So no way. Really? 
Seriously? That's cool. I didn't know that. So yeah, um, come next week. We're going to we're gonna meet at 5 instead of 6.30, so there's a little bit of light out still, hopefully. Uh, dress warm, if you could, because it should be a little chilly. But yeah, expect to play a bunch of mini golf and uh, ride the go-karts. So if you go to vistaboomers.com, you can buy that. It's called the Champ Pass, and it's 10 bucks right now. I think so go ahead and, and check that out December 16th um, so the week after next is going to be our Christmas party Skylar sent out invitations for um, signs up sign ups for like food we're going to do prepackaged food um, if you you know what I mean like like stuff you buy at the store that's already packaged um, so go ahead and sign up for that and we're going to have a Christmas party and a gift exchange yeah what oh gosh <laughs> 